wants to try my 18-layer dip. It's got beans, cheese, bird seed, guac, chocolate chip. One warning, if you're allergic to uh, peanuts or bee stings, I wouldn't eat it. What are you talking about? Who the hell are you talking to? Charlie Blackman is the batting champion, more like the ugly champion. If God doesn't like the Broncos, then why is the sky blue and the sunsets orange? Welcome to the All Colorado Sports Podcast. This is Ace. We talk everything in Colorado, three stories a week, three days a week. Your one-stop shop for your Colorado Sports Reef. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. If you haven't done so already, please go ahead and follow, subscribe, like, and share the All Colorado Everything Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasting stuff or on all platforms. Have us in your Spotify wraps 2022 because we're brand new in 2021. Don't really expect it to be there, but you know what? Next year, big goals, aim and high. Give us all the minutes that you want to listen to. And if you just want any Colorado sports news, we're probably one of the best places because we have great interviews, great analysts, great conversations with some great people. And today is no different. It's actually a jam-packed episode today. Normally, we're less than 15 minutes, but today we're going to go a little bit extra. Why? Because there's a lot to talk about. And the CU buffs, when it comes to football and basketball, there's a lot going on. We are recapping the CU football season today with Mark Johnson, the voice of the CU buffs. And then we are talking some uh, buffs basketball with Mark as well, but also Henry Chisholm of DNVR buffs. So let's go ahead and get started into it. First on the docket is the Buffs basketball team. I want to mention the great success. First of all, that is the women's team that they are having so far this season, receiving votes in the national polls after starting the year 7-0. and Great job to the Buffs on the women's side. But the men, they're also doing good. 6-1, and they just capped off their first Pac-12 win on Sunday when they defeated Stanford 80-76 to at the Boulder Event Center. The story of the night was Evan Batty. He finished the game with a career-high 22 points and surpassed the 1,000-point mark for his career. He was 4-4 four four from three-point range. Probably the best career game of, of Evan Batty, leading the Buffs after they were down early in the first half and partially in the beginning of the second half. Near the end of the game, things got really close with a uh, Stanford-Spencer Jones three-pointer that tied the game at 66 apiece following a timeout. Colorado answered scoring seven straight with an Elijah Parquet layup, a Walker offensive rebound, and a putback, and a Tristan De Silva three-pointer off a dish from Evan Batty. That run gave Colorado a 73-66 to lead with less than two minutes to play. Stanford did manage to cut CU's lead down to two, 75-73, with 30 seconds to go before Keyshawn Bartholomew hit two free throws to give CU that four-point win. Tad Boyle said after the game, and I quote, with each close game you win, you become a little more confident down the stretch. We've got a lot to learn, however, to extend the leads when we have them or not fall down at 20-10 to like we did. We're up five at the half, and they come out and score the first seven points of the second half. We have to call a timeout. We just have to become more consistent, and we're just not there yet. At some point, it's going to cost us a game, so we better have to. So we better figure it out. End of quote. So they better figure it out because tonight, it's the number five UCLA Bruins. See, so you improved to six and one on the year, but like I said earlier, they play UCLA tonight. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Henry Chisholm from DMVR Buffs, talking some CU Buffs men's basketball here on ACE. Alrighty, well, I have the honor and pleasure of chatting with the one and only Henry Chisholm of DNVR Buffs. Henry, first and foremost, good morning, and how's it going, good sir? It's going good. It's going good. Uh, football season is over, which means that it I is. have so much more free time, and I get to just focus on a basketball team that, to be honest, just makes me a lot happier than that football team ever did this season. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a good time. It's a good time. And Mr. Henry Chisholm, we had some Sunday basketball take place a few days ago in Boulder. You were there at the CU Event Center to watch the Buffs take down Stanford by four mm-hmm. points to take the first Pac-12 uh, conference win of the year. The start was 
kind of ugly for Tad Boyle's team falling behind. Was it 21 to 10, but they outscored the Cardinal most of the rest of the way. I think they fell behind again in the second half, but they came back and won in the end. From what you saw and from what you can tell me, give me your favorite part from watching CU compete in person in front of a crowd in Boulder against a Pac-12 opponent in a close game and then win the game. It's just the simple things in life we can enjoy, like watching CU play in the CU event center. What did you enjoy from, from Sunday? I mean, it's, it's every single game that it's Evan Batty. You know, they, they start so slow. I think they, they were down 7-0 right off the bat. I'm not sure. That's probably a worse number. Probably got to 14-3 or something like that. Yeah. But, but it was really ugly to start like it has been all season. About 15 minutes into the game, though, they got hot. Yeah. And they got some steals on the defensive end. Evan Batty made like two or three threes in a three-minute span. And when that happens, the crowd just goes insane. And Evan's running around the court. He's hyping up the student section. He's screaming into the fans. It's uh, it, it, everything changes from there. That's just what he does is he brings that energy after he makes a couple plays and all of a sudden they have the lead. And he's surpassed the 1000 point mark for his career. He did. He went, he also went four for four from deep. Completely forgot about that, that portion <laughs> of his game. The career had 22 points. He was not the only one though. Jabari Walker had a great game. Thursday mm-hmm. double double five Buffalo scored in double digits from what you saw. Give me one player who you're most impressed by by the game on Sunday, and it may as well be Evan Batty, but is there anybody else who you're impressed by by watching that game? Well, I think Jabari's a good one. I think Jabari Walker, um, because we've seen him do he, so many different things, right? He can he can uh, guard in the post. He can block shots down there. He can rebound. He can get explosive on offense and, and put up some points pretty quickly. But what I really liked was his ability to just stay physical on the defensive end and get some stops. You know, a lot of the defense that he plays is rim protecting and getting blocks and, and cheating right. over and getting steals. But but there were plenty of times where he was just down there being strong in the block and they couldn't get by him and they had to pass the ball out and the fans are getting into it. And I think that that is definitely some growth. Um, it's something we didn't necessarily see from him uh, last season. And it's a good sign going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you look at the schedule as a whole, what it's been so far, the buffs six and one. Starting our comments to play on a good note. However, keep in mind that things like five of the first seven games this year have been decided by single digits. Two overtime games. It's been close. Now you look at what they have tonight. The number five UCLA Bruins and the number 13 Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday. Not the two most favorable games for CU, but in a good way, <laughs> they can test their skills and their ability to win big games earlier on the season. I mean, trial by fire. We love to see it. So what are some of the things we can look forward to tonight against the Bruins? It is on the road. And but to see you stand a chance against these teams this week, do we steal one or maybe two of them? Or is it just like, hey, we'll lose both these games, figure out who we are as a team and then rebound and and do better in, 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 in conference play? I mean, you got to start by saying if, if you're betting on this two game stretch, the best bet is to say they don't win either game. Yeah, um, there's there's a very real chance that they get one and it's possible they get two. it's college basketball. We've seen them get hot before, um, but when you just look at what Colorado has done this season, you know, they haven't played the best opponents. And like you said, they have been close games. Again, it's kind of what we expected from a young team, 10 of 12 players being freshmen or sophomores um, and they're fighting through. And I think that it's valuable to get that late game experience. And it's, it's definitely exciting to see that they've pulled out five of those six close games. They've come down to these last couple minutes. Sure. Um, but these are two really big tests. And more than that, this UCLA game is on the road which is actually a first, you know, they went down to paradise jam, which is technically a neutral site and they started slow there in all of those games. 
Um, they they struggled shooting the ball when they were down there outside of the CU Event Center. Now they're going out to UCLA. I, th- I think that I'm worried about the shooting and just whether that translates. I'm worried about the the, the ability to keep up in the first couple minutes of the game. It's something we've seen them struggle with early this season. And I think that UCLA is one of those teams where if you get behind, it's a lot tougher to come back than it is against you know Montana State sure. or one of those sorts of teams. Sure. And we well, I want to ask and I want to ask you a genuine question. And I really hope Buffs fans aren't offended but, but when I say this because I'm a Buffs fan myself over any other Colorado University, including my own. But with a team like Colorado State in the same state as CU, who is who's who's the best basketball team in the state of Colorado? Because the Rams are getting some national recognition, getting some some votes, and they won the Paradise Jam and starting up season seven and oh. I don't obviously we want to see them play each other. That's not going to happen this year. But it's still kind of a rivalry to some extent. Who do you think is better, CU or CSU? Right now, I think it probably is CSU. Um, it's it's really tough to say though, because again, Colorado, this is kind of what we expected, right? Was for these yeah. young guys that early in the season, the question was just, could you overcome the struggles and and pick up enough wins so that when you can actually be a decent basketball game, maybe in the second or basketball team in the second half of the season, you can use that base to fight your way into the NCAA tournament. Whereas Colorado state is at a very different place in, in their program. You know, they've got a lot of veterans. Um, They've got guys like David Roddy who've been out there for forever and they know what their identity is. Um, I think that Colorado is absolutely more talented. You know, you just look at all these kids that they have in there and how explosive they are and how they shoot the basketball. They just haven't put the pieces together yet. Um, It's 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 close. It's close. Um, but as of right now, I think you'd have to give the edge to Colorado State if they were to play each other. Sure. If they, so if they were to play each other tonight in <laughs> Boulder or in Fort Collins, you would give the edge to to the Rams. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. By the end of the season, maybe we'll see both of them in the, in the NCAA tournament. Maybe we'll maybe they'll face off then. Probably not. But you know what? It would be nice to see some uh, some record amount of showdowns between Bus and the Rams. Henry, always appreciate your time. Um, one last question for you. Who's going to be the king of the game tonight for CU against the Bruins? That's a, that's a good question. I think it's gotta be Evan. I, I, it's so easy to look elsewhere and say like, you know, Keyshawn is probably due to start, start heating up again, scoring more points, but Evan has been their best player in most of these games this season. Um, and it's his last trip to his hometown. This is the last time he'll get to play in LA and that means a lot to him. I had a chance to talk to him about all that stuff a couple of days ago up at practice. And I think that he comes out fired up, which, I mean, he always does. I mean, that's just yeah. who he is. But but I, I think that if you have to pick somebody, he's going to have a bunch of friends and family there. I'm, I'm going to say Evan plays well in front of, which was kind of a home crowd for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be the most amazing thing if they can steal a victory. We're, we've already seen plenty of upsets this year in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Why not have CU Buffs defeating a top five team on the docket? So, Henry, thanks so much. Appreciate the time. And have fun watching the game tonight. Absolutely. So that was Henry's conversation. Let's go ahead and bring in another one, the CU football team. We'll talk to Mark Johnson, the voice of the Buffs, in just a minute or so. But before we do that, let's quickly revisit the CU Buffs football team because CU wrapped up their season last week in a 28-13 loss against Utah. The Utes will play in the Pac-12 championship this weekend against Oregon Carl team finished with a 4-8 record, 3-6 within conference play. In the presser to close out the year, Darrell said about his offense, we felt we had some good opportunities to do some positive things, but unfortunately we did not. We showed spurts of doing some really good things. 
We had a couple of nice drives. One drive didn't end up with any points. I missed field goal. But other than that, we had trouble. We struggled with protection. We struggled with creating any type of production in the running game. That quote was after the Utah game, but kind of sums up the entire season as a whole for this team. They had some spurts here and there, showed some glimpses of complimentary football, but couldn't be consistent in the bigger games and didn't score when they had to. I think near the end, they did it more than they did at the beginning of the year, and it was a good chance to defeat Utah, especially after that kickoff return for a touchdown. Special teams were actually one of the brighter spots for CU this season, but the offense wasn't. It was the least productive offense in Buffs history, and Darren Cheverini was fired of duties of offensive coordinator for CU. And when asked about the culture of the team and the direction of the team, Darrell said, and I quote, everybody feels we're heading in the right direction. Everybody feels as though we have the foundation to build from moving forward. I would have loved to start the offseason with a win and use that as a boost to get some things going for us in a positive way, but there's enough of a good feel in this team that we feel that we're close enough. A lot of things to digest from the culture of this team moving forward to what is the possibility of Brendan Lewis developing as a guy to lead CU from the offensive position as a quarterback, but what about the play caller? Who's going to take over as the offensive coordinator? we got some of those questions answered, as well as a lot more as we talk with Mark Johnson, voice of the CU Buffs, here on ACE. All righty, well, I'm here this morning talking with the voice of the Buffaloes, Mark Johnson. Mark, first and foremost, uh, good morning. How's it going over in L.A.? About to call the UCLA in Buffs basketball game tonight. But um, how, is, how is L.A.? You're not, you're not a city guy at all, are you? <laughs> no, no, for the most part, no. And, you know, the thing about it is, so I'm not a big, you know, guy that loves being in the city. And where we stay here is right near Westwood. So it's a beautiful area. You know, we're here on Wilshire Boulevard. And so it's a great area. And it's just easy to, you know, within about a 10-minute walk, I could be right over, um, you know, the Westwood area, which is a fantastic area. And so it's all really neat. But for a guy like me uh, that's not a big metro guy, when you've seen it once, fantastic. And then it's just uh, coming to town and, and enjoying the ball game. But, yeah, this, this is that interesting time of year where, you know, you're so focused, man, on football for all those months. Right. And you start dabbling in basketball then for a few weeks. And now that football has come to an end, now it's full-time basketball. And obviously, this is a very big game tonight with Colorado number five, uh, UCLA. So, you know, it's awful fun. Not that I love hanging out in L.A., but uh, if you're going to be here doing a Colorado-UCLA basketball game, it's a good reason to be here. Oh, absolutely. And especially when it comes to, you know, the, the rankings and number five and CU trying to get up there six and one start. They need that big win. Hopefully tonight will be the case. But I want to talk about basketball near the end. But first, Mark, um, I want to revisit the, the football season. We're not playing football in December this year. That's not the case when it comes to CU. They finished the season four and eight. I really wish that we could have some crossover between football and basketball a little bit more. Wish there was a bowl game on the docket, but that's just not the case. There was some bright spots on the special teams and defense this year, but the offense for CU was less than efficient in the grand scheme of things. And that's why Coach Chev is no longer the offense coordinator. All those things taken, taken into consideration, Mark, when you – Look at this season and break it down to what can be put in a 15-minute podcast, which is what we're doing. Give me your biggest takeaway from the 2021 Colorado Buffaloes football team. Well, obviously, as you touched on, I mean, the offense was very disappointing this year. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. Now, now, you know, there have been two coaching changes made down the stretch of the season here. One, an offensive line. And then Darren Chevrini, as you mentioned, being let go as the offensive coordinator. And I've been around this game long enough to understand that nothing is ever – you know, affected by one thing, right? There's multiple things yes. that go into it. Um, well, was Darren Cheverini the reason the offense struggled? Absolutely not. Was he a contributing factor? Certainly. I mean, you know, if you're going to be in that position and make the paychecks you make in college, you're going to have to take responsibility for that kind of stuff. Was the offensive line coach the reason? No. Was he a contributing factor? Certainly. Um, you know, did the injury to uh, – uh, 
Uh, JT Shrout potentially negatively affect uh, this offense? Sure, could have. You know, would he have gotten a starting job? Yeah. You know, it was probably leading that direction. And so there are a lot of things that go into it. Uh, what they did defensively, I think, was pretty solid all year long. Obviously, they had some moments that they'd like to get back, but I think they're pretty solid. Special teams was outstanding. There is talent on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think whoever plays quarterback in 2022 is going to have to be more efficient. The ball's going to have to come out quicker to help that offensive line. That offensive line's got to get better. This team, football team's got to get stronger because we saw against teams like Utah, which is always a very physical team, they weren't getting a lot of push. And so that's going to affect, you know, what's uh, going on from an offensive standpoint as well. So I think there's a lot of areas you look at and say they were contributing factors to what the Buffs were unable to do on offense this season. And, uh, you know, we'll see what the coaching changes do, what kind of fruit that bears. And obviously everyone's going to have to get better and you're going to have to get better quarterback play next year. And one of the biggest things, too, that that I think that we tend to skip over, which we can actually praise Colorado for, is taking care of the football. Um, Buffs yeah. were the best Power 5 team in the nation this year when it came to turnovers. They gave the ball up seven times a program record and had seven games with zero turnovers, also a program record. With When it comes to things like that, and also special teams being as it was for this team, mm-hmm. that gives myself and hopefully yourself and you and other people around the program some ease when we don't have to check out those boxes when it comes to next season because those can determine – three or four games under schedule, taking care of the football and special teams. And Calderell's already taken care of that. He can ease us a little bit, and now we can take care of the other pillars. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the funny part about that, Gary Barnett, I talked about that in the broadcast. Number one, what what are the two of the things you always look at and talk about indicators of winning a game? Turnovers and and penalties, right? And the Buffs, as you talked about, only had seven turnovers this season. That's a spectacular number. Seven games out of 12, you don't have a turnover, which is an amazing number. And then they were not a very highly penalized team, save for – Oh, heck UNC was, it, game uh, was, was, was one of UNC the UNC game, they had 12, I think, as I recall. Yeah. And, and so for the most part, it's not a penalized team. And so you're doing good things there. Um, you know, so that, that's that's a positive. What they did special teams-wise, they were very good on special teams this year. So there's three areas which traditionally you look at and say, you know, those are areas that if you're not efficient in, you're, you're going to have some problems from a record standpoint. So, listen, that, that's why – you know, when Colorado fans, and listen, I understand fans, they, they hit the panic button, and they, yeah. they, they want to point fingers all over the place and start firing everybody and their, their brother out there. And that's just not true when you look at this program. I think with Carl Durrell's building, there's a foundation there. Now, is 129th in the country in total offense, is that acceptable? Absolutely not. No. And Carl Durrell would be the first to tell you that, right? And so they have to be better. If this offense, Matt, this season had been just a decent offense, let's say they were – ranked 80th in the country or 75th in the country or somewhere in the middle like that. This team's a bowl team, and, and you know, we're still talking football coming up here at the end of the month. So, um, you know, there, there are many good things, and I see what Carl's trying to build, and I see the foundation he's laying down. Sometimes that takes a little bit of a word that we don't want to talk about much anymore, and that's patience. And I, I know that's hard for anybody to accept. It's hard for me to sit and watch and, and have to, you know, wait for things to, to improve. But it is the trajectory is going in the right direction right now. And that, that's why you, I think you should feel good about Colorado football moving forward. Well, I think it's just with Carl Durrell after Mel Tucker, we had to hit the reset. I mean, we remember the way that Mel ended his first season. I mean, you, you lose to Utah, but you still have some confidence. I don't know. There's a different feeling about this team. But then Mel leaves and the culture of this program and the trust between the coaches and the players, that bridge yep. has kind of been shifted. And we observe college football right now. I mean, just this last week, the trust between players and coaches tends to be a very fragile thing. And as a matter of fact, Midnight Mel was the very start, at least in the last two years, of that trend of him going to bigger schools and Mel getting his big extensions, on and so forth. So when we look at Carl Durrell, the situation in Boulder right now, Mark, do you feel as if 
is if coach has the trust of his players, more specifically the younger players on the team, has that bridge been rebuilt in Boulder? Well, I, I think so. I mean, it's a, to the best of my ability to kind of take the temperature, that kind of kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you don't build that overnight. That's it's going to come over over a period of time. And so I think that that is the case. Anytime a coach comes in, man, what you see, you know, the first thing that a coach has to do, they, they recruit the players that are already on the team. Right. I'm the new guy coming in. I've got to gain their trust. The guys that you then recruit and bring in in his first couple of recruiting classes, we'll have another one coming up on December 15th. But those guys are bought into you to begin with because you're the salesman that, that sold them on coming to Colorado or whatever program we're talking about. So I think, you know, the, the bottom end of that roster certainly does. There's not a real deep upper end. We know this is a very young football team, one of the youngest in the country. But I think there's trust there. Now, are there going to be guys to transfer? Certainly. We've already seen, you know, a handful. And I think that's going to be a commonality around college football right now. That's just going to happen. I, I saw some numbers, and I won't get them exact, but something like 8,500 names are in the transfer portal um, that was somebody of 5,000 uh, of them were scholarship guys. And there are only about 4,500 or so open slots for guys to go back to, which means guys are going to le get left out in the cold. And so, you know, the transfer portal is changing everything. And we understand that. So that's, that's why I've cautioned people that I talk to about not panicking when you see a handful or two of players transfer that that's happening with every program in America. And, even though it hasn't happened to some who are still looking forward to a bowl game or a championship game coming up this weekend, when, when their season's over, you're going to see the exact same kind of thing. And so what you've got to do as a college coach right now, you've got to look at it almost as free agency, like they do in the NFL. Who's available right now? How can we plug some holes? We still have to build our, our program based on what we do recruiting-wise, but then we're going to fill some holes and take care of some needs through the transfer portal. And that's kind of the new world of college football right now. So yeah, what, what, what Carl's got, I think, I think the heart of what he's dealing with and the, the, the bulk of his team, there's trust in him building it, trying to build it the right ways. As said. And we'll see how it goes next year, 2022, very crucial. Could be yep. his last year, but if CU does something and that trust is there and we actually see how the progression from the last month of football that that they had this year around if it continues in the next year then hopefully we have some bright future also I'll, I'll say something real quick to you there you know and, and that's the thing you know and, and there's some speculation okay would, would year number three if, if carl doesn't get things totally turned around would that mean that they're going to make a coaching change i've been here since 2004 i've called 18 seasons of football you've had gary barnett you've had dan hawkins you've had john embry you've had mike mcintyre uh, uh mel tucker and now uh, Carl Durrell, that's six coaches in 18 seasons. Yes. You can't do that. You know, and the, and the end of the season, we saw um, the greatest example of what I'm talking about. Utah's had one coach for 17 years, and they're the most consistent, solid program of the Pac-12. You know, when you make a change of coach, there are reasons you do that. Obviously, win totals are going to be part of that. That's a, a huge contributing factor. But the other part about that, Matt, is this. You've got to look internally and say, is this thing on solid footing? Is this thing being built the right way? There are coaches you look at, and I've been involved with some of them, you go, this is a disaster internally. Then there are coaches you look at and say, the wins aren't there right now. Go back to Bill McCartney early in his career when they went go one in 10. Look at Mike Krzyzewski at Duke the first three or four years when they're not doing very well. You've got to let a guy kind of build a little bit. And the, the, the last thing you want to look for in an answer is making a coaching change every two or three years. You just cannot build a program that way. There's just no way to do it. And so, yeah. you know, if this thing is being built internally, if the program's running the way it should, if you're Rick George, you're looking at that, you got to say, okay, I want the wins right now, but we got to build this thing. We can't just keep changing coaches because then you're never going to get a culture built.
Well, if you want to look at a coach who's doing it right and who's stuck his way out and it actually has a good program right now, he doesn't have to get off the campus. You can look at the basketball team and Tad Boyle. And so Amen. switching Amen. gears from, from football to basketball, Mark, two tough games coming up for the men's basketball team starting tonight. See you taking on number five ranked UCLA in LA on the road. Mark, the first Pac-12 game of the season was on Sunday as they win over Stanford. How if, if if they don't win against tonight, against UCLA, maybe they beat Tennessee. But when it comes to this weekend specifically, or this weekend weekend specifically, what would be a fundamental win for CU, even if they don't steal one game or even even both of them? Well, and I think, you know, you think about the next, what, uh, two and a half weeks or so, but also going to play number five, number eight, number 13, because you've got Tennessee coming up this weekend, or number yes. 13, and then Kansas is coming up about a week and a half, two weeks after that. And so they've really got, and the Bakersfield's in the middle of it. I know that's not a name program, but they're a very good basketball team. It needs to be Boise the other night. So you've got a heck of a schedule coming up. I, I think, you know, Tam made the comment, I think, on our postgame show on, on Sunday. He said, you know, we're going to the UCLA playing with house money. I mean, you know, you've got a team that's a top five team, was in the final four a year ago, returns everybody. They're considered one of the top teams in America, maybe one of the favorites to get back to the final four. I think with as young a team as he's got, if you come in here and give UCLA a heck of a game, now if they get blown out by 50, that's that's not a good night, right? But they come in here and compete at a very high level with this young team and allow that group to understand, okay, oh, this is what it's like to play really big boy basketball now. I think that's a win for Colorado. Then you go home and play a very good Tennessee team. And, and I'll say along the same lines there. Now, you'd like to win that game at home. You think yeah. there's going to be some advantage there. Mm-hmm. But if they come in and play competitive basketball in both of these games, uh, and listen, I'm, I'm certainly hoping they split these things. And that, heck, who knows as talented as this group is. I said going into the season, Matt, this team's going to lose a game they're probably not supposed to. Maybe that's Southern Illinois, which they yep. did down on the Virgin Islands. And they're going to win a game or two that they're not supposed to do right? mm-hmm. you know, because they're so darn talented. And so I think they've got a got a puncher's chance in a game like tonight. And going back home over the weekend against a, a solid, talented Tennessee team, I heck, I'll give them a, you know, a puncher's chance in that one as well. So I, I'm excited to see what these next two games tell us about this young team and how much growth they've had so far. Well, Mark, if they win tonight, we'll be happy to hear you on the call. As always, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate your knowledge of the game, of both games, football and basketball, and have fun calling the game tonight between the Buffs and the Bruins. All right. Happy to be on with you. Once again, Big shout out and thank you to both Henry Chisholm and Mark Johnson today for joining us on ACE. Buffs taking on UCLA from the Poly Pavilion presented by Westcom in Los Angeles, California. That is on the Pac-12 network. And listen to Mark Johnson call from a News Radio 850 KOA or listen on the Varsity Network app. As for today, that is all she wrote. Make sure to go ahead and follow us. Subscribe, like, and share the ACE Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasting stuff. And join us on Friday as we talk to Harrison Wind from DNVR Nuggets to talk some Denver Nuggets basketball. They went against the Miami Heat this week, and Nikola Jokic owns Miami. But as we learned today, Bones Highland and Austin Rivers have going on health and safety protocols. They're going to be gone for like the next, what, seven games? What is up with Denver? We'll talk about that with Harrison Wind on Friday. Have a good Wednesday, y'all. Happy hump day. We'll see you soon. Bye.